Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. My sincere thanks to listeners and those who have liked, subscribed, and commented. Your interest is noticed and deeply appreciated. This podcast is the second of two segments in a conversation about a temi, which is striking in Aikido. It's a really great conversation and very informative. Enjoy. And I think when we well, when we get on the mat, we see the physical expression of that very, very same thing. Yeah, because you're you're doing it in that relationship. You're doing Aikido around something as opposed to with something, right? right. So like you you want you know when people want to talk about harmony and blending and all that stuff. Well, that involves being in. You know, it doesn't involve going around. It involves being in. I mean, that's or staying that's out irim- of. Yeah, yeah, and but that's that's irimi, you know. Mm-hmm. So like, there there is no aikido without irimi. Well, irimi means committing, you know. Like it's committing your body to this to this place to this moment, um, so that you are actually in and involved, you know. Um, and I, I think this is um, well, one thing um, actually back to what you're saying about taking initiative, Stanley Prennan, the late Stanley Prennan did amazing work, obviously with Aikido journal and and all of that. Um, He did an article with video evidence um, about the fact that, uh, that Osensei never waited for someone to attack him. He always initiated the attack. He presented the hand that he wanted them to grab in a way that would allow him to do the technique that he wanted them to do, that he wanted to do on them. Well, if you if you do that with violence added to it you're not presenting a hand you're presenting a strike you know and i think i think that in a way maybe it just got lazy over the years and i, I mean that's a terrible thing to say obviously you know um but i think that he was just getting the result that he wanted so easily that the atemi just sort of disappeared mm. um and but that every time that you watch him present his hand to someone really to their face um, quite often, that if you imagine that he added some something behind that, then you see where the atemi fit in, and then even you know when he applies ikkyo or or something like that, that the even the application of the hand that's at the triceps, you know, um, to to do the ikkyo to rise and fall through the movement, that is atemi, you know, um, the the getting someone to the ground after that point. That's a temi. I mean, my at, at some point I came up with this equation that, um, and I'm terrible with math, but I I thought about it this way, and I still use this um, as a teaching model. But that um, irimi plus a temi equals kazushi, right? So the result is the result of a good technique is kazushi, right? Is off balancing, mm-hmm. but the way that that's initiated is through Irimi and Atemi, that you're entering with a striking body, that you're displacing a person with your body that is also a striking mechanism. Um, or and and that the result of that is that they are off balance. And that is Aikido, you know. Um, that you're fitting into them in such a way that they that it's no longer their choice what happens next, right? Um, that's the Kazushi aspect. Now, if you start training with people who are really good at other things, like really good at at, um, at Muay Thai, like, you know, my brother is an example, or if you start training stand-up with people who are good grapplers and um, um, and if you end up doing Nawaz and things like that, then you really have to start asking yourself, um, how, do I, how do I fit myself 
into this so as to accomplish the Kazushi through the Irimi, through the, the Atemi, in a way that's going to work against this new um, input that hasn't read the script, right? So a perfect example is, again, like I said, we've just been practicing Tenshinage lately. If you don't come up through the middle, a good grappler is, if it's not a strike, if if the if the Tenshinage is not based in a Temi, then if you just treat it like arm's length grappling, when you rise up through the center, the person you're doing it to, if they know what they're doing, is gonna is going to duck under it and take your back, and then you are going to lose. Once somebody's taking your back, if they're good at grappling, you really have a hard time getting out. They're one to two steps already ahead of you, right? So that shouldn't mean, if you have that experience, it shouldn't mean that you therefore should then disavow training with grapplers because they're not playing by the rules. It should mean that you ask yourself, how do I do this technique in a way that does work against someone who's not doing the thing that I want them to do, right? That's where harmony comes in. It's like, how do I work with the person who's not doing the thing I want them to do? How do I, how do I make it so that this circumstance really works out in, in the way that I'm hoping that it does? And I think that what ends up happening is people shut out this this potential for improvement through cross training one because it's hard to find good cross training partners like it's really difficult to find people who are interested in letting you experiment with this kind of stuff but that aside the whole idea that there is any level of competition involved um and whether it's just through freestyle training or whatever, but any level of resistance involved is sort of shunned as being anti-harmony or anti-Aikido. But the fact is that violence is always competitive. It may not be competitive for you, but it's competitive for the predator. Absolutely. And so if, if you don't train against something that is com that is at least in a little, a small sense of... Um, if there isn't even a small sense of what an actual predator is going to be doing, then then you're never going to know what what true, you know, what you're capable of within the context of violence. So there has to be some level of competition. It doesn't have to come from you, though. So like the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners that I know are never meeting force with force. They're always working at, at angles. They're always working with leverage. They're always working with, with trying to get to, to positions where you don't have the choice um, to attack back, right? That's not competing. The, well, and that's that's, and, kind of like you said earlier, what is the definition of competition? I think, right. I think there are so many Aikidoists that have no competition or physical culture background that the word competition brings up head my strength meeting your strength and whoever's stronger, right. strongest loses like that is the, the assumed definition of competition but i don't think that it is and you make a great point about when you are attacked if you just give up your opponent your attacker he's competing with you yes you yeah. can you can go pacifist but what that will mean is that you will lose he, his will will be exacted upon you, and there's nothing that you can do about that. Your pacifism, no matter how peaceful 
or kind you are will change the outcome. The outcome will be whatever he decides it will be. And and I think that that's something that it's a romantic notion, the idea that you can, just by being such a nice and kind person, sort of melt the heart of the beast and appeal to his mercy. But, and it might happen, it, it, there's a small chance of it, but in my opinion, it's nothing you want to bet your life on or your family's lives on or your family's safety on. Um, no, and uh, I mean, I I was definitely an idealistic um teenager and i had when i was in my early 20s i, I think we all I had, were idealistic teenagers. yeah i mean hopefully hopefully right and i had this um this mentor who i mean really just an older friend of mine he's one of the people that that got me into martial arts but he had he had done some let's just say combative uh work when he was younger um and you know with real violence in in a different country you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and i remember talking to him and i was like I, I was very much digging into buddhism and taoism and stuff like that at the time and i was like you know well when people use violence against you it's it's really it's really to their own detriment because um you know uh as long as you're not violent back then um then they're the one that suffers you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and i was like look at the um at the tibetan um, the, yeah, this is when China was like um, taking over Tibet, and it's like, look at the the Tibetan monks. It's really the Chinese who are suffering. And he said, "This is a little bit crude," but he said, "Yeah, ask them that when they're um, ask the Tibetans how they feel when they're hanging up by um, from trees by their intestines." And that's that's the thing, right? Violence is terrible. Like, it's not it's not a wrist grab. It's not a punch. It's not it's not even a headlock or a choke it's terrible it's you know there there are when you think about what actual violence entails you know with wars with uh with muggings rapes murders all these kind of things this is not the, it's not the stuff we're practicing for in the dojo so either we need to just accept that that's the case right because quite frankly it's it is you know we're not really practicing for this stuff um in the dojo or we need to start looking at how what we're doing better suits that level of intensity right even if it's just a fraction of of that um i mean in the in the the kodayu like jujitsu um historically speaking it was never uh, a reaction to an attack. It was actually the attack itself. So if you look at if you look at the Kodayu grappling schools, um, plug for one of um, Ellis's books, Old School, um, gets into this a little bit as well. That if you look at the way that Jujitsu was practiced in wartime, you were learning how to grab someone in such a way as to execute your technique and win, right? But in, it wasn't until peacetime that people started saying, well, if you grab me, then I'll do this to you, you know. Um, so then jujitsu becomes the counter to the grab or, or the counter to the strike. But the old way that jujitsu was practiced, um, like one uh, one word for it is torite, which is means taking hand, right? Like I'm, I am seizing the initiative from the very beginning. Um, again, going back to what, uh, what Stanley Prennan 
wrote about with um, with Osensei, that he was taking the initiative from the beginning of the encounter and owning it through the entire encounter until it ended the way that he wanted. That was the Aikido that he was doing. And I think that that's where, going back to Atemi, that the grab is Atemi, right? The the entry is Atemi. The throw is Atemi. You know, I'm I'm trying to throw you with a strike, right? I'm I'm grappling with a striking body. And you could say um, that I'm it, going to seize your mind. I'm going to capture your Yeah. because then you will be responding. And I think from just a technical, pure technical view, I if I'm going to close distance with you to throw you, I have to cross through striking range to get there. And Absolutely. Like a wrestler would say because uh, I've known a couple of wrestlers, they'll say I don't mind eating a shot to even to the head if I get to your body. And they're pretty mm -hmm. tough. Wrestlers are a pretty tough yeah. bunch. They don't mind taking a shot as they get in because they know once they get there, it's gonna be all their advantage. Whereas somebody who's maybe not quite as tough or as rigorously uh, in good sh uh, physical condition or strength that a wrestler has, will still say, I have to cross that striking range, whether it's kicking range first, then probably punching range, but I gotta get through that if I'm gonna get to close range where I'm gonna throw you. And that's where Aikido likes to do most of its work is in that throwing range. So right. to try to cross that striking range without any striking or without any atemi or without any, at least making your, your attacker concerned about letting you get there I right. think that that's missing a, a very big chunk of, of hoplology or just martial arts in general, just fighting. Yeah, and then you get into the argument, well, Aikido is not about fighting or Aikido is not about uh, about being martial, you know, and and I don't know. I mean, you have to make that decision at some point. You know, you have to, at some point, everybody has to decide, is the martial art that I'm practicing or is the art that I'm practicing martial or not martial? Is the art that I'm practicing looking at um is it just a hobby am i learning to defend myself or am i learning how to deal with predatory violence because social violence and predatory violence two very different things like as as a pretty large adult male the likelihood of me getting into a fight that i am not actively involved in from the beginning is very little right mm -hmm because what it's going to take is for like what it takes is for me to put myself in a circumstance where fighting is more common right like going to a bar being, being young in men a, are be, drinking alcohol exactly and where and where you know the testosterone is up etc cetera, etc cetera. so like by just taking myself out of those circumstances social violence becomes a lot less likely um to be something that i have to worry about right but if you are um if you are in those kinds of circumstances, like if you're a kid in high school or, or something like that, where, you know, you might be being picked on or bullied or something like that, then then training for social violence is a very important thing. Right. So, like, I always tell, you know, people the for my daughter, for my wife, like I want them to learn how to how to defend themselves, quote unquote. But for someone for someone like me, the more of the likelihood of an of any kind of encounter that I'm going to get into is going to be because of my wife or my daughter, or be or because someone is someone wants something that I have, right? Whether it's my wallet, my car, something like that. Well, that's a totally different kind of violence than than a fist fight, 
right? So you have to then ask yourself, like, what it, what is it that I'm training for? Am I training just because it's a hobby? Am I training because I'm concerned about social violence, about bullies, about bar fights, about dealing with the drunk uncle that always comes to the, you know, the Christmas party, whatever? Or am I training because I really need to consider the the worst part of society um, and the threat that that poses to me when I least expect it or when my wife and my daughter are with me and I have no other choice but to defend myself and them, right? And that's a very, very different thing. But also that's where that's where this concept of not not just being reactive and not just like a temi plays into that, you know, that you have to be able to seize the initiative. You have to be able to, um, you have to be able to take the space. You have to be able to, you know, uh, to be on the dominant side of the encounter and not on the passive reactive side. Um, yeah, and you've if, stru- you've you know, if that's a- your re- genuine concern. Right. Uh, and you've struck on a fundamental that I've found in, in the security business in general, which is, let's say, somebody goes to a bodyguard and says, I want to hire you as a bodyguard or hires a team of bodyguards. The first question is against what? Like, what is the right. threat? What are, what are yep. you, what do you need to protect? Is it just you? Are you protecting things that you are carrying with you? Like, is this a transport? You know, what sort of, are, is the threat a gang? Is the threat, you know, street thugs? Is it thieves? Is it, um, you know, a rival company? Is it, you know, what, what exactly, and where are we going? Like, what, what sort of threats are we going to run into? And I think the same thing holds true for any self-defense, just like you described, is what is the threat that you want to prepare yourself for? And therefore, that dictates the type of training that you do when you identify where are you going to be, what are the typical threats, you know, what are the considerations that you need your training to fulfill for that? And I think when it comes back to the fighting, Aikido is not fighting which I 50% agree with and 50% disagree with. The part <laughs> yeah, that that's I, a pretty fair, fair yeah, stance to take. Right. It, it, the, the part that I disagree with is that Aikido is, is about surviving a fight. It, it purely is. And it always was. It was always designed to be that. And we could go into more of that. But the part that I disagree with is that that Aikido is about seems to be about refusing to participate in fighting. I think that that is yep. completely false. The, uh, the goal of Aikido is not to go around starting fights. The key of Aikido is stopping a fight as quickly as possible once it starts, even though somebody else might make that decision for you. Even on a metaphorical side of things, like you could say that jujitsu is more about winning a fight, but then, then uh, Aikido is more about winning a fight with your morality intact. Right. So like if if it's at the end of the day, you still need to come out alive and healthy. And, you know, like that, that uh, that shouldn't be part of the question. Right. So we should be training in such a way that allows us to survive first and foremost. Well, that means winning. And no matter what anybody wants to think, it means winning. Right. Mm -hmm. However, how do we win? That to me is more the question of that fascinates me with Aikido, you know, like, do we, are we able to win and also maintain our integrity, you know, um, whatever that happens to mean for, for any given individual. And that is not to say in any way, shape or form that it's the only martial art 
that offers that question. It's just not true. Like uh, Christopher Lee out in Hawaii has written about this extensively that that this was stuff that was being talked about way before Osensei came came along. This idea of um, being able to bring peace to a violent situation and you know things like that. That it's it's nothing new. So then the question is, well, how is Aikido unique in the way that it approaches that? And I think that that brings us actually back to the other side of a temi, which is the training your body in such a way as to be the striking implement um as to be the the delivery the delivery mechanism for the atemi that gets into the internal strength side of things in my opinion and i'm not an expert on that at all um i am a student of it um and you know my my teacher is much more um much more fit to to talk about that intelligently than myself. My experience of it has been um, mostly in trying to do it, you know, um, whereas like through him, I've experienced it being done. Uh, and those are two very different things. Um, and But I think that, that it's in the body conditioning um, side of things where, where I, that question about what Aikido is actually good for really comes in into play that if you aren't doing the internal strength practice and training as a baseline, then the Aikido really isn't the best martial art to be martially effective. Um, and I and I say that sort of without apology, that without the Aiki side of things, which a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on what that means, um, but without that, the then you might as well just be punching somebody in the face because your body isn't going to be fit to be do to do the atemi as the irimi that's going to result in the kazushi um and that's just my opinion though well that and that's a good a, a, a good point in the fact that what other martial art out there does not require decent physical conditioning to execute mm. and i think yeah. the answer is virtually none and, right and this is yeah. something that i've heard aikidoists say repeatedly well you don't need to be strong or fit or in good shape to use aikido or to have be aikido have be effective and i that kind of makes me wince a bit because yes technically it's true but it's often used as an excuse why they aren't in good physical condition they aren't right. strong or fit or flexible. They kind of just say, well, I don't need that, so I'm not going to be. Whereas, I mean, how many martial arts give you a tremendous advantage when you are strong, powerful, well-based, good structure, strong legs, strong core? You know, all of these things are just straight-out advantages. And the fact that Aikido, yes, you won't use those tools, that you, a strong body, by running straight into a rock, you're going to move around it, but you do need that physicality if you are going to be effective. And there's there's a splendid example of of the counter to that, which is Kyuza Mufune. You see a 70-year-old, thin, frail man throwing around young, very much bigger, much stronger, much more fit people at will. And I mean, yeah. in my opinion, what he shows is is gorgeous Aikido, although he's a judoka. But he, mm -hmm. show, he shows the beauty and elegance of using efficiency as opposed to strength. But 
my guess is even as a 70-year-old man, that guy was, was very, very fit. Um, probably not in comparison to a 30-year-old, but he had such a mastery of how the human body worked. Like that, that, and he was, even at his, at the amount of experience he had in judo, he was still extraordinary. Like the idea that an average judoka, even after the amount, number of years that Kyuza Mifune had in judo, would get to his ability of being able to feel and manipulate a human body with his level of skill, I, I think is probably the odds are against it. Um, and so, but the physicality and being strong and fit is something that everybody is capable of doing. And it makes such a difference in your martial arts that I think it's, it's good not to overlook that. Well, there are multiple different, multiple kinds of, of strength, right? I mean, if you're mm -hmm. talking about judo, look at um, the famous Kimura Masahiko. Um, I think that's his, his first name. Um, but that the, the, now jiu-jitsu tech brazilian jiu-jitsu technique the kimura is named after like he was a huge guy and it was very strong he talked about working out 20 hours a day you know um sleeping four hours just to just to work out again and he was a big strong guy very different than mufune you know and um so there's there's those those different le you know levels of of strength like the two guys that i was training with this morning um in our uh, early morning BJJ class, they're both half my size and it doesn't matter. They're both really, really well skilled and they're both, one of one of them is in extremely good shape. He's a, a personal trainer and um, the other one is just very wiry and very, I guess, say sinewy, you know, and both of them use their leverage and angling and good defense and, you know, um, all those different kind of things to give me not only a hard time, but most of the time to beat me because they're that much better than me and they're half my size, you know, and they've been doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu longer than I have and they're, they're just better than me. But it just goes to show that, and like I said earlier, they're not using it to try to, you know, to try to come at me head on. That's silly. Right. But it also goes to show that Aikido is not the only martial art that um, that tries to go that tries to leverage the strength instead of going against it. You in know, in fact, I would say um, that all of them do. Yeah, you know, you, ideally. You, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, if and even if you look at Mike Tyson boxing, if you really watch him boxing, most of the time he's trying to work to an angle where he can get his uppercuts in in a way that you can't defend it. Now he's doing it with the the most devastating speed and power and you know um violence and efficiency of moving you know all of that but he's still working to an angle because he's trying to diminish your ability to defend to defend yourself through the way that he's attacking and you moving know? around I mean, in defense to get exactly to, to get exactly. to the point where he can attack safely mm -hmm. while you cannot defend safely yep and then you know you get into the the other level of of strength that um that we're talking about which is the internal strength side of things and even within that there's multiple layers if you look at um at the newest version of hidden in plain sight there's a whole chapter on different kinds of strength that could be considered internal strength um and 
they you know there's even within the internal strength practices like tai chi and and um and xing yi and bagua and things like that uh on the chinese side of things there are different ways that it manifests um even if even if some of the stuff that they're doing is the same the way that it manifests in different people is is different because of the way that they train there's hard qigong soft qigong you know all these different things that play into what the end result is i just don't think that i when it, when we talk about aikido and strength i don't think that the kind of strength that um that o sensei was or or his teacher takeda sokoku was was trying to um manifest was the same kind that comes with being able to um to bench press a lot or to be able to i mean you know squatting and deadlifting and all that stuff that ties into the fact that he was that he had that farmer strength you know but i don't i think that that was more something that he had to learn to get past in order to do aiki however starting out strong isn't some isn't a bad thing you know but i don't think that that's the kind of strength that that he was trying to get people to understand that he was using through aikido i think that that's a whole another you know discussion into more um complex practices and and things like that that again like i said i'm not an expert on but you know i, I, I think know. that it's it's important to the discussion right and i remember reading uh that sakaku takeda made money traveling and doing feats of strength for people among his other teaching martial arts and, and whatnot he was kind of a almost like a in america where the the traveling strongmen you know would make money with circuses and what have you uh i remember reading that i, I don't recall if uh, what the reference was but it, well he was also a tiny guy who did sumo wrestling for fun and beat sumo wrestlers mm -hmm. and he was he was tiny yeah, so he, it just goes to show that he was extraordinarily strong as was a sensei yep yep exactly and but also that that sort of ties into this discussion about you know how we train well if takeda sokoku was doing sumo wrestling competitively as he came up and according to all sources was still doing it with his students as he got older even even you know into um his dying years then maybe that's important to do some kind of competitive grappling you know and you could easily say well you know osensei didn't do that well if he was a student of takeda sokoku he did we just don't hear about it but if he was training with takeda he he was doing that most likely you know it's an easy conclusion to draw if takeda was doing it as much as um as i think that he was and there are you know two as things, an yeah there are two things that strike me there as well and that is that um Firstly, both men, uh, uh, Takeda and Osensei, started as very strong young men who mm -hmm. probably learned as they grew older to, that it's there's a, a old man strength, which is I, I count it as like a smart strength by using leverage, versus mm -hmm. the raw strength of, of being young and have the having the vibrancy of youth. And I think they probably learned that as time went along and said, oh hey, leverage is really useful yes raw strength is useful but leverage is too and so i think also both of them probably felt uh, as any i guess fit strong young competitor would feel that as they grow older they don't want to give up using 
engaging their strength in competing with with those who are fit because that tests well, your strength quite frankly, it helps make you stronger and keep it, you it's fit. a lot of fun oh, right so that's that's the part that a lot of people miss is that it's a lot of fun like there's a reason that if you put a couple little boys together and i'm not saying that's not true for girls too but i'm not one um, if you put a couple little boys together and you don't give them any distractions, you don't give them any toys, TV, video games, whatever, they will start wrestling with each other. It's yeah. inevitable. It if you put adult men together and give them enough alcohol, they will start wrestling together. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just part of who we are. And it's, and it's part of what makes a mammal a mammal. Any, every mammal grapples in some way and that's a stolen quote but every mammal grapples in some way mm -hmm. and it, it's just part of who we are which is why it's so much fun so the question then that that i have for aikido practitioners who don't want to do anything competitive when they talk about aikido being natural movement and you know being part of nature well what about that part of nature what about the part of nature that is competitive what about the part of nature that wants to grapple right and even if it's just for fun you don't have to go for trophies you don't have to go for um for awards like it can just be in a friendly safe environment with other people who are trying to choke you back or armbar you back or whatever well maybe that's the part of the training that that Takeda had that Osensei had that rounded them out that made them not afraid to do Aikido as Aikido right or or like in Takeda's case you know Daitoryu so like if you have that as a foundation you're much more capable of experimenting with more esoteric practices because you can always revert to the thing that you know works if you don't have the thing that you know works then all you're doing is playing around with theory and at the end of the day, if that theory is tested in a real situation where there's actual violence and your theory was wrong, you're in a lot of trouble, you know? And so I think that, I think that there should be this foundation. And I'm saying this as someone who started out with Hapkido for many years, absolutely opposed to the, the competition side of martial arts and got into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu quite frankly i got into it because takeda did sumo like that's a really funny reason to get into it but that's the reason that i started doing it. i was like well what is the sumo of my time well it's easy to find a, a brazilian jiu-jitsu school easier than it is to find a judo school in my area so and my brother was doing it i have other friends that are doing it like let me try that and it's proven to me that one i love the aikido side of things and I also love grappling, right? And where those two things come together is I think a very, it's not, it's not for everybody, where the, at, at the, the point that those two things meet is not for everybody, but I think for the people that do come to that place where they enjoy both, then that's the kind of person I wanna train with, you know? Um, and and I think that there's something really special to be found there, um, especially in the free exchange of ideas that comes with, well, you know, I was trying this the other day on this person, but they did this, this and this to me. You know, let's experiment with how to fix this so that when I, you know, when I'm using this Aikido principle, this Aikido technique, um, how do I use that? And so that I 
again, am successful in the violent encounter and using violence in quotes there because it's still just play at the end of the day in, in the dojo. But how do I use this, this technique or this principle in a way that, that lends itself to me being successful and also not compromising my integrity? Like I shouldn't have to eye gouge somebody or bite them in order to, and this is um, sort of a joke, but it comes up in a lot of forums. Well, I would just eye gouge you, you know, if you, if you tried to throw me or, you know, whatever, if you tried that Brazilian jujitsu stuff on me, I would just poke you in the eye. Well, how do, how do you win the violent encounter in such a way that both people remain safe without reverting to that kind of thing? You know, how do you maintain your integrity and still come out on top of it? Right. Um, because, like I said, at the end of the day, we, we, we're still here for survival, you know, and to perpetuate our species, you know, so to speak. Um, but we have to be able to do that with some level of, of morality. And I think that that's the interesting equation, you know. And if you um, come back to we... the point of, of Aikido is not about fighting, well, if you approach it that, well, I need to be biting, eye gouging, and kicking people in the groin, Right. Well, now you're pretty much becoming exactly the fighting aspect. Yeah, or her so, worse. I mean, oh, you know, yeah, like, yeah worse. You, I'm, I'm just going to trump fighting by being more fighty than the other person. <laughs> right. You become a five-year-old. I mean, that's that's how that's how the untrained little kids that we deal with, you know, that's how they're trying to fight. We're so we're we're teaching them how to be how to be better people, you know. And I think that if somebody's done Aikido for 20 years and they're still talking about biting and eye gouging, it's like, well, what did you learn for the past 20 years? That's a great point. Great point. And you raised some great questions. In fact, I'm going to invite people that are listening to uh, post in the comments if they've got some interesting perspectives on, on anything you heard today or even some of the questions that, that Robert brought up here sort of to wrap things up because uh, these are great things to think about. And I know, uh, Robert, we could probably spend all day afternoon talking to uh, talking today because this is fascinating yeah it's a lot of fun yeah so thank you very much for coming on the podcast and i'm looking forward to hearing what people say about it so thanks very much robert is there anything you'd like to say or plug in the end here um i would just say that um you can find uh if you're in maryland you can find our dojo at kogandojo.com um and then my blog which i i write every day is holisticbudo.com and then the larger organization is not very large there's three founding members um that um a part of with lsm door as as a consultant so to speak um is taikyoku mind and body so the idea um behind taikyoku is that um ellis discovered while while consulting an aikido dojo a number of years back that uh, that if you look at the Aikido techniques that Oishibo was doing, that Osensei was doing, um, it basically came down to he had five movement patterns that he was following. You have like Ikkyo, which is up and down, Nikkyo, which is side to side, Sankyo, spiraling up and away from the body, Yankyo, spiraling down and towards the body, and Gokyo, which is a little bit um, of an anomaly. But he he took those and created a solo practice um, that he refers to more along the lines of themes. So you have Ikkyoku, which is the theme of rising and falling, Nikkyoku, which is the theme of sort of a figure eight side to side, so on and so forth, um, and created a solo practice around those. That became the basis for um, 
Taikyoku Aikido, which is what uh, what he was helping to develop a number of years back at a dojo in Pennsylvania. It sort of split off, and that's where my teacher Bud Yu has started playing around with these principles of these vectors um, from the Taikyoku Aikido, along with the internal strength um, things that he had been learning um, from Mike Sigmund, and then started applying them at, in other avenues so playing around with them with striking with boxing with judo grappling and things like that and discovered that they were really universally uh, universally applicable and that ended up becoming what we call taikyoku budo um, which is essentially a martial art that that incorporates aikido principles through aikido techniques grappling techniques and striking techniques with internal strength as a foundation um, and uh, you can find more about that if you contact me or if you go to taikyokumindandbody.com. So that's it. I really appreciate the, the discussion. I really appreciate being asked. As it was a lot of fun. Great. Thank you, Robert. It was great to have you on, and I'm sure we'll be chatting again uh, in the near future. I look forward to it a great deal. Definitely. Thanks, Tristan. What other topics are you interested in hearing covered in this podcast? Please share your ideas in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube or go to the Facebook group Aikido the Marshall Side and post a comment there. You can also support this podcast by donating either through a monthly sponsorship or a single donation of any amount that you like. I always enjoy hearing from listeners of the show, whether through comments or questions. Thank you all for sharing your interest. Enjoy your training.